Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Empires of the Future. Uh, we are excited to be talking today, uh, Jackson and I. Jackson, how are you doing today? I'm great. Great. Glad to hear it. We, uh, we've been lamenting here just a little bit before this podcast started about the heat and the difficulties. As everyone who listens to the podcast regularly knows, we enjoy getting out and running. And, uh, <laughs> this is every, a terrible week to do that. <laughs> it's a terrible week to run. Uh, uh, all of our runners out there who are listening or anybody who lives right. uh, in this yeah. area will understand that uh, this is a it's a hot week today. It is the, the oppressive heat. I mean, oh, it was yeah. uh, it was strange because supposedly it was like 77 degrees this morning, and uh, we ran uh, four miles, which is sort of our standard, right? And uh, we being me and, and Andrew, uh, our other guy, because uh, you are on driving kids to school duties yeah. in the morning, um, and it was awful. I mean, it felt <laughs> terrible. They're not joking. If you look at uh, a weather app, they'll often have kind of like a uh, rating on the conditions. Yeah. For and, like specifically for runners, right? Right. Like, and they, I think they gave it like a three this morning. Three out of ten. And it, it felt bad. It did. I think three I, And generous. I like, <laughs> I like heat generally, but it's just very hot and it doesn't yeah. cool down that much in the evening. Yeah. You know, I'm getting in my truck in the morning is this in my, it's like, yeah, sorry, it's 88 degrees here in the garage, even after a night, you know, so it's, yeah. it's hot. No one ever, uh, would enjoy seeing this body without a shirt on, which is why I run with a shirt on. But when these temperatures get up this way, uh, and and once it gets dark, where less people can see me, it's like, man, I'm, I'm about to take this shirt off and go run. It's, it gets that hot. But yeah, you know, I did discover something yesterday that is even worse to do in this kind of heat than run. You know what it is? What? Crawl around in your attic oh, running wires. goodness gracious. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, so yesterday... Um, I, I installed a new security camera that I bought at my house, um, and I had to run some wire yes. for it through the attic. And One so minute and you were probably drenched. Oh, not only less than a minute. And not only was I drenched, but I'm crawling, I'm having to yeah. belly crawl into like the corner of my, uh-huh. of my attic where like the ceiling gets lower and lower. And, uh-huh. and I don't know if you know this about attics, but they're filled with insulation. Yeah. And so I'm crawling and just drenched. <laughs> And this insulation is just sticking to all my arms, my face, my, uh-huh. my, like my shirt got pulled up one time when I slid, like yeah. all on my belly. And oh my goodness, not only did I look terrible when I came out of the attic, yeah. uh, I felt terrible for the rest of the day. I'm all itchy. And yeah. Yeah. It was the worst. Yeah. I was like, man, I wish I was running right now. Right. <laughs> it was that bad. Um, but yeah, so just a little word of advice to everyone out there. If you're going to run wires in your attic, don't do it today right <laughs> do it on a different day but yeah cool so hey what are we going to be talking about today jackson um i don't know uh, if anyone has heard uh, this will be a surprise i think to some people and uh, to those who listen to you know quite a few podcasts or keep up on things um we have uh, what can be called a boy crisis right now there's uh, boys are not doing well uh, across multiple age groups basically all of the age groups they're um Academically, um, in terms of uh, things like depression, uh, in terms of uh, across the board, I mean, um, boys are really not doing well in their investigations. People are trying to figure out what's going on there. And so we are looking at a, another article from the Institute for Family Studies. Uh, it is by Leonard Sachs called Boys Are Falling Farther and Farther Behind Their Sisters. Should We Care? And uh, so obviously today we're going to say that, that yes, we should care. Um, 
and, and want to look at what's going on, uh, what are, the, what are the, the factors that are driving this, and what can we do about it? Yeah. Yeah, it, really interesting article, um, and it deals a lot with education. That's kind of the, the driving point of the article. It, it talks in the beginning and, and throughout about, like, in colleges and universities, the decline in, in male enrollment and, and things like that. But it, it roots that back into even earlier stages of life and development and school. So it's specifically uh, the author. Who's the author? Leonard Sachs. L- Leonard Sachs. Uh, Leonard Sachs is talking about um, the role that school plays in, in this and how even at, at early ages we're seeing boys struggle a little bit more than, than girls. Um, but he, he brings all this up not just to say like, oh, poor little boys. Mm-hmm. That is the case to a, to a degree. But to say we're seeing at the earliest phases in, in school and these kinds of things what it develops into worse problems later on. Like it's not just, okay, boy does worse in school, but that's okay. After school, everything levels out and yep. is normal and it's fine. No, he's saying we're seeing this result in deeper, worse, more long-lasting problems. Um, and honestly, he, he touches on a few things that I think are problems beyond even just the issues he's pointing to. Mm-hmm. Um I think societal changes that have happened within the past, I don't know, you could say 100 years or, or less, you know, 50 years probably yeah. even, um, that have, have led to just dramatic changes in society and in, in the drive among men and, and fatherlessness in the home and, mm-hmm. um, and all kinds of other things. And so the article is really good at, at getting this conversation going um, about some of the problems that we see in, in our society today, especially regarding men. But he starts with boys, mm-hmm. boys in school. Um, and so I don't know how you want to get started kind of talking through this one, but um, let's just start with this. The fact of the matter is that boys in school are struggling more than girls are. Yeah. Um, there seems, it seems to be the case uh, that, that school itself is a more conducive environment or the way most schools are structured tend to be uh, whether intentionally or not, yeah. um, I think some of it is is just is not intentional, but they're structured in a way, laid out in a way, uh, they work in a way that is more conducive towards uh, the thriving of little girls, and not so much, and sometimes to the neglect of the thriving of little bo- of little boys. Yeah, and I mean, um, where is this one statistic that will not surprise anyone who's talked to a college student? is that as of spring 2021, he says, women accounted for 59.5% of students attending colleges and universities nationwide. Among four-year private colleges, women now account for 61% of all students. And so you can basically think of that as at colleges as a whole, 60-40 is the basic number. And it's even a little higher at the most prestigious schools, um, indicating that girls are succeeding at higher rates than boys, and this percentage year by year continues to increase such that you can expect soon uh, that women will outnumber men on college campuses two to one. Yeah, and and when you say succeeding, you mean like in academia, mm-hmm. making it in academia, so like yep. moving into the college atmosphere and not only enrolling, but also ultimately graduating from college. Yeah, um, so, yeah so this stat was attendance. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, look, um, 
attendance. <laughs> you don't graduate if you don't attend. Sure. Uh, and the rates, uh, it's not as if, you know, men are somehow outstripping women on graduation rates. Not at all. No. Not at all. So. No. And, and, and he's kind of saying, okay, what's happening at the earliest stages mm-hmm. and levels to create this sort of lack of a desire to succeed in, in academics um, or maybe lack of ability to succeed in academics? What's going on that's leading to this change and he says it's a lot of things having to do uh, with school and it's an interesting article in a few reasons for one like i hear those statistics about fewer men going into college um, than women and i do think like my my initial instinct to that sort of statement is okay but what are the reasons Mm -hmm. i wouldn't necessarily chalk them all up to um men are failing um i'm not saying Sachs does this in the article but but that seems to be the thrust of his article, and he's using these data points to sort of make his point. I do think it is the case that to a degree, some men are finding it less and less useful uh, to go to college. Some men, uh, they see other avenues where they can get started in the workforce rather than go to college. Yeah. Um, that in and of itself, I would say, is, is largely a good thing. Yeah. Uh, men who are doing that. But one of the, But there are also the category of men who are just... A, they don't like school and so don't want to go any further once they don't have to anymore or um, see little value or maybe even not as much manliness in being uh, educated and, and scholarly and succeeding in, in academics. Uh, whereas it used to be the case that not only was it was it seen as uh, – it was seen as a manly thing. Like it was manly to be uh, intelligent and, and intellectual and not only intellectual but succeed in academics and scholarship – it was a mark of someone who was a hard worker, right? And I think it still is to a degree because anyone who's gotten a college degree knows that it's hard work. Yeah. Uh, just uh, recently, I've got a friend who, who is going back to get his master's and he's kind of, he was a little bit sort of shell-shocked, I think, by the amount of homework right. that he's had dumped on in this first uh, couple weeks of class or first week of class. And it's like, yeah, it's a lot of work to do those kinds of things. And so I do think it should be seen as a masculine thing to take that on. Um, so I don't know. I think there's different reasons for those numbers, but he's not wrong in saying that at least part of it has to do with um, something that has been created among men that academia, scholarly work, and and success in that area has has not been prioritized for young men and by young men. Right, and uh, probably to clarify why we will speak of this as a crisis is because if we had some data. <laughs> whether anecdotally or official data, to be able to say, but don't worry, young men are becoming plumbers and uh, doing physical labor, (laughs) learning skilled labor, becoming electricians. No, Uh, that is not the case either. Correct. Because one thing that's in the background of this is that um, 50 years ago, the story was go to college, you'll get a good job. Mm Mm-hmm. We have been disabused of that notion. That's just not simply true. And there are plenty of majors that you will end up if you if you get a degree in that, you will regret it from a financial standpoint because you will not be employable and especially not employable in any way that is commensurate with the amount of money you spent to get that degree. Yeah. What would be an example of one of those uh, degrees? A lot of liberal arts degrees. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and the further you go in liberal arts, if uh, it, look at it like this. If one of your relatives asks you, Oh, what are you going to do with that degree? And you have to say, teach X. Well, look, there's just not a lot of money there. Uh, and just know that. Um, yeah. So that 
that that's a part of what's at the background here is that, um, yeah, college is not a ticket to get a good paying job right now. Um, and so then, okay, well, what are boys doing? <clears throat> they're, they're just backing out altogether is, yeah. is the answer for like, okay, where then are if, if uh, a different benchmark, say in 1970, uh, as he says here, men accounted for 58% of students attending colleges and universities. Think about this. 58% of men, uh, 58% of men and, and then uh, 42% of women are there on college campuses. Uh, and so then men are still going into all these trades mm -hmm. in 1970. Uh, and you have this trend at that time. Mm -hmm. Now the trend is men are backing out of college, not flooding the trades. Yeah. In fact, I have heard no stories about, you know, oh, there's a whole bunch of guys from this high school class, you know, graduating, going to the plumbers union, right. uh, going to learn to be an electrician, learn to be in any, any of these skilled labor, even, you know, lower skilled, but still that pays decent, like, you know, painting, drywall, things that are just manual labor. Right. Um, I know people who own construction companies who literally say can't find workers. Yeah. I, mean, I, I tell guys, I'll train you. Uh, I, I, you don't have to know anything coming in. If you can show up, and pass a drug test. Yeah. You have a job and they go, whoa, high bar. Can't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, that's right. not yeah. there, literally. Um, so right. so that's tough. And, yeah. and this is why there is a, a crisis uh, among men because the system, as it is set up, the, the college system, uh, girls are excelling. Uh, boys are not. And then the sort of traditional, uh, whether it is because the traditional uh, sort of manly type work, which is manual labor um, of various kinds, whether it's been sort of undersold, whatever the story is there, men are also not, you know, we're not experiencing a shift back towards trades. We're experiencing a shift towards less work. Right, right. And, and that's, that's a problem. This is the boys and men's bodies kind of problem, right? Um, and a part of why it, what the author is addressing as as what results as a as a problem here is that there's a difference between the way men and women operate. Shocker mm -hmm. to anyone listening. So so it used to be the case when when men were graduating at much higher rates than women from colleges and universities, um, which used to be the case, right? He he kind of makes the point like, well, why should we care that there's right. more women in college now than than there are men? It used to be the opposite, right? There used to be way more men than women, and that's true. Yep, but what we're seeing is a difference in the way in what happens next. So men are far more likely uh, to marry a woman who doesn't come anywhere near their educational level or, or anything like that. Or like earning a, status. Or yes. earning status. Yeah. A, a guy who, who has a, a, a degree, a business degree working at a, I don't know, wherever a business degree person works, uh, <laughs> making all kinds of money. He's more than happy to marry a, a woman who is a, a grocer or, right. or a woman who, uh, as a secretary or, or doing all these, whatever these kinds of things, or a woman who wants to be a stay-at-home mom and has no college degree or, right. or whatever, men are far less likely to be concerned about that and to let that stop them from pursuing that woman and, and ultimately marrying her. That's not the case with women. Yep. Women are, are much more unwilling to, some people might call it lowering their standards, but they're much less willing to uh, marry or commit to someone who doesn't sh match them at least to a certain degree yeah. 
um, with, with the regards to education, earnings, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, women aren't, don't do that. Right. And this could come as a surprise, frankly, uh, before reading and hearing about this kind of stuff, I'm, it's so hilarious how much more aware uh, women, even young women are about these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys basically, I mean, all the comedians are right. Guys are kind of walking around going, I don't know, would she date me? I don't know. Let's try it out, you know? Right. Um, and then it's like, oh, she won't. Well, I don't know. It must be something wrong with her, you know, moving on. Uh, the, the, the male mind about this, the average male mind is just not very uh, complex in, in a yeah. thinking about it, but this is a simple fact, and he has a very long name for this, educational assortative mating, yeah. which is a hilarious way of saying, here's the deal, uh, women uh, are much more concerned about earnings yeah. and status, uh, and, and it, from a standpoint of uh, men will date and marry women of a variety of statuses. Right. Uh, women will not, in general. Uh, right. Women marry equal to or greater than in yeah. terms of educational and earnings status. And that's a big problem right? in our current context. Right. In 1970, it wasn't a problem right. because men will marry up or down in terms of status. And if there are more men with higher status and more women with lower status, that means relationships will just sort themselves out. Yeah. And, and meaning marriages and families right, right. will still be formed right. normally. But, but but when there's a, a great increase and, and indeed an overwhelming uh, number of women who are graduating and men who aren't, that same that it then affects right. how many families are being formed and, and the health of those families and things like that. You end up with a lot more children out of wedlock. You end up with a lot more single men, single women as adults and, and getting older. Yep. And that's why it becomes a problem. It's not just that, well, women shouldn't be educated. That's not the point. Right. Um, the point is, uh, unless men are matching those same levels or exceeding in education, it will and, and has proven to result in a downfall in uh, families and marriages and children um, being born into healthy families. Yeah. Which, and that's why it's here in the, uh, in the Institute for Family Studies is because it has an effect on, on families and things like that. And, and he points out, uh, he says that I'm going to read this story because I thought it was an interesting yeah, little anecdote. Yeah. He adds um, that kind of I don't know made my skin crawl a little bit. I would say, but he said the problem is not confined to college to the college educated. I'm a family doctor. A young woman in my own practice, let's call her Linda, has two small children. She's never been married. She has never attended college. I bumped into the father of her two children. He told me how much he loves Linda. He told me that he has proposed marriage twice. And both times, Linda turned him down. I asked Linda, as gently as I could, why she didn't want to marry the father of her two children. She answered, Dr. Sachs, I already have two babies at home. I don't need a third. Well, I, I read that story, and there's a lot that goes on in my head. And, and first of all, I, we don't have all the details, right? Um, I don't know anything about this dude, the father of these two children. Right. Let me ask you, let me just ask you, when you hear that story, who do you find to be the bigger kind of like irritant or scumbag in that story? <laughs> the the woman or the man? The man. I, really? I do. I yeah. Well, and because uh, here's the thing. Um, this guy's very likely to be really unhelpful. I mean, I don't think we've fallen so far away uh, that the average woman would go just because I have two 
children with this guy uh, doesn't mean I'm going to marry him. I think that a lot of women would choose to marry the guy. And, you know, obviously we don't know these people at all. Um, but I, I get it from a standpoint of you need to be a net positive contribution to a household. And if as a man you're not uh, convincing to somebody that you would be, because children are a lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the strange things that you and I have talked about lately is uh, there's just a lot of these studies about how people are choosing not to have kids. And what's so hard about this is, man, anybody who's choosing not to have kids, um, if, if you just kind of have some sort of sense that you don't want to do it, then you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't want to bring children into this world uh, and go, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want you. Um, children are an enormous blessing. Uh, the way I've described it is the highs get higher and the lows get lower. It's just uh, you are taking on responsibility for another person. And that's something that, uh, honestly, um, you could see. Like, if you look at the history of our world, um, back in ancient Rome, in, in a society that did not control sexual norms, how did they deal with this? Well, exposure to children was commonly known. They would just put children out on the street corner to die. Mm. And thankfully, the Christian church rose up. And one of the things that the church did from the beginning is pick up orphans, mm. as the New Testament calls us to, and they cared for orphans, mm-hmm. uh, which was, there was a lot uh, in, in, a, in a society where men have sexual freedom, uh, women did not, but uh, men had any kind of freedom they wanted, and the higher status they were, the more access they had. You have a lot of unwanted children, mm-hmm. and that was their solution for this issue. Th- their solution was basically expose the kids that we don't want, particularly young girls, particularly uh, baby girls. And so, what is our solution now uh to this crisis um christians are some of the only ones who look at it and go well you need to become mature because actually the way to have a real life is, is to be to give you know we we serve a god who is continually a giver mm-hmm. and the more we are around him the more we become like him as mm-hmm. jesus does his work in us then we realize there's that greatness is service that it is good to pour yourself out for others. Um, but without, um, without somebody to convince you of that, frankly, kids don't make basic sense. Kids are not all, I mean, sometimes kids are fun, but a lot of it is, you know, look, you need to be the mature one. You need to keep your head when everybody else is losing their head. That's what it is to be a parent. And so uh, I see that. What do you say about all this? I, I, so we don't know anything about this guy other than, a what what we know to be true, and she doesn't deny it that he has proposed twice, right? And, right, and right. confessed his love for her. We don't know anything about him other than she seems to think he's a child. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's the problem I have, and why I think she's the bigger scumbag, <laughs> because of the two, he seems to be the one that is showing more maturity in that he sees the value in family and being com- in a committed relationship, married to one another, raising children together, and he's pursuing that and wants that, and she's denying that. Um, we see a lot of immaturity in her saying, I'm happy to engage in these physical activities with you that result in children, but I'm unwilling to commit to you. Uh, if you were to reverse the roles here and it was a man uh, who was, you know, had gotten this woman pregnant twice, 
uh, and she wanted to marry and was begging him to marry her. And he said, no, we've already got two babies. I don't need a third in my life. I've got it. Yeah. You know, we would say we would really think he was the scumbag. Right. But yet when, when, a, when this woman does it and she's like, I know you want to commit to me. We don't know anything about his work history. He might be working hard at a job that maybe she just doesn't think is all that desirable or whatever. Yeah. We don't know. All we know is he wants marriage. He wants to form a family. She doesn't. She would rather have children out of wedlock and and get what she wants from him, that is, these physical things, and potentially child support, probably, we can assume, right? Right? Uh, can yeah. we assume? Yeah. Uh, but she's unwilling to commit to him. I think she's a scumbag. Well, I, I, think, <laughs> I think she's a scumbag. But here's the thing. Maybe he is a very immature. Maybe he is a bit of a child. Well, you should have never hooked up with this child then in the first place. But you've yeah. done it. You've done it. You need to accept what you've done and and live in that. You like... I don't know. I would any guy who ever had this same kind of attitude, like this woman really wants to marry me. She's just not marriage material, you know. I'm happy to knock her up, but she's not marriage material. She can mother my children, but I'm not gonna marry her, you know. That's terrible. So I, I don't like this. And, and he uses it to make the point you're getting at, which is that men are just kind of getting left behind in the maturity phase, and and it seems to be. That the doctor here believes this woman that this guy's kind of a big, overgrown child. I haven't seen anything in his words or her words to make me think that, but it certainly has not painted her in a pretty picture. Yeah, and it's it's hard. I I think one thing is the background that is at the background of this is that my experience in general in the last twenty years is that um, I've seen in general the young women that I've been around mature at a pretty steady rate, but that a lot a lot of young males. Just refuse to mature. Yeah. If life doesn't make them mature, they go. Then I'm not doing it. And it, and it is a problem right now that uh, that you know. Look, if I can sit around play video games and do what I want and not produce, then it sounds like a pretty good deal uh, to me. And that I have seen out of a lot of women more of a willingness to just go, well, no, life is more than that, and I'm going to go towards it. Um, and so that it's it's hard to know what to say about this, but I don't think it's a surprising story. Yeah. Um, I agree. And, and, and this issue has been uh, on the increase, this, this problem of uh, men choosing not to become, boys choosing not to become men right. uh, has existed for many years. I mean, he talks about how uh, he says ever since the 1980s, boys' academic achievement in high school has declined relative to girls. Not primarily because girls are doing better, but because boys are doing worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, Girls have remained stable in a lot of ways. And that's... um, when When you analyze an issue and you go... and you go... it is not as if the rate of boys and girls are both increasing, but that girls are increasing at a higher rate. It is that girls have remained stable and increased a little bit and boys have declined. And so, uh, there are multiple reasons for that. And so, uh, we can move towards that because it is a huge problem. You mentioned earlier marriage. And and one of the things he says is that marriage rates in the United States peaked at 16.4 per 1000 in the year 1946. Uh, in 1990, which is an interesting benchmark number, marriage rates were 9.8 per 1,000. Right now, the marriage rate is 6.1 per 1,000. If you 
are a statistician and you are seeing uh, in less than 100 years a rate of 16.4 per 1,000 uh, per year. So there's, there's once a year, 16 people per 1,000 get married. That is down to 9.8 by the year 1990. That then hits 6.1. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2022 is when I believe this article was written. What you are seeing then is such a decline that marriage, I mean, you could think that say by 2050, marriage is going to be something that you hear about. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, can, I can think now, mo- a lot of what I tell people who hit their 20s in the last so 20 years or so is I go, goodness, I remember I hit my 20s and it felt like I was going to weddings every other weekend yeah. for all of my 20s. Yeah. Uh, that will not be the case. That just that that will not be what your twenties are like uh, within a couple of decades. Right, you'll just be helping everyone move. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> all, no, no marriages. You can just hey, can I borrow your truck? <laughs> yeah, yeah um, that sounds worse, man. I know, I know. <laughs> at least you get food at a wedding. Yeah. But yeah, um, so yeah, marriage is declining. But what's interesting, and, and he notes this, is that even though marriage is declining there is still a pretty high degree of desire in women to have babies. That's right. That's and sort of is, remaining unchanged, which is why you're seeing more babies born, more children born out of wedlock. And this is something that um, it's like when we talked last time about this very surprising thing that, you know, um, basic intuition would have told you, okay, the birth control pill is going to come out. What would you say within 50 years is going to happen to the number of out-of-wedlock pregnancies? Well, you would probably gone, oh, there's going to be a lot fewer of those. And you would be completely and utterly wrong yeah. um, because there was an explosion of out-of-wedlock pregnancies. Uh, one, one reason is, oh, well, there was people having a lot more sex. So then that leads, uh, when the birth control pill relies on Someone remembering to take it every day, um, and a lot of other things, uh, added to the fact that since we're talking about humans and not robots, uh, basically one of the unforeseen consequences is if a woman becomes pregnant, the question of, oh, well, whose fault is it? At the basic human level, very easy for a man to go, it's her fault. And yeah. that results in many, many out-of-wedlock pregnancies. And if anyone has never looked at statistics on how children do when they're born to families or born to a woman who is not married and the father is not around, everything is worse. Yeah. This is a simple fact. Every, oh, yeah. every uh, achievement level, every emotional health level, education, everything is worse. Yep. And if you want to talk about something that the rich know... And the poor don't. That is a fact that the rich know and the rich generally stay married and the poor do not. So that this idea of, well, we don't have to settle down, uh, that is played havoc uh, on the poor and the rich stay married. The absolute best thing you can do for your children, for your child, uh, to to lead to long-term positive effects in their life and positive outcomes is to wait until you're married to have children and then stay married yep. and, and parent those children together. That's the number one thing you can do. And so what we're seeing in this study is that 
that's on the decline. The the best thing you can do for your children is what people are, are sort of doing away with and it's not happening for these various reasons. And you're saying all of these children born out of wedlock and ultimately a lot of fatherless homes, which is, man, if I were to pin down like one problem in society that if it if we could only fix one problem, the amount of good it would do, I would say that would probably be the one thing I would say. Fatherless parents, uh, fatherless homes, mm-hmm. fatherless children. Um, that's like one of the absolute biggest problems facing our society, I think. Um, because here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, again, if you are a man listening to this and you hear, okay, so women are having a hard time finding uh, a suitable mate. Okay, what does that mean for children? A man, which from a male perspective, uh, frankly, there's not a lot biologically and, and not a lot of dreams where men sit around when their kids going, oh, one day I'll have kids of my own. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, women do. Right. And so then the answer that a lot of women are resorting to is finding ways to have a child on their own. And so then they choose to have uh, mm-hmm. a child out of wedlock and this is not just an anecdotal uh thing uh he using the same study we've been talking about this whole time he says among women who have earned a bachelor's degree or graduate degree about one in four women aged 32 to 38 weren't married when they had their first babies because here's the thing that happens about this another thing that men don't think about at all is that uh the biological clock is a real thing and women have to start thinking about you know, they, they dream about this even as little girls. But then when 30 hits, there is a real crisis, which is I've got something like five years of regular fertility after this. Women are literally, if you go to the hospital, a woman is considered... Uh, geriatric. Right. Yeah. A geriatric like, pregnancy. I think, I think it's like 32 or 34. It's something really, sounds really young, but if you have a baby after that, it's considered to be a geriatric pregnancy. I don't know if you know this, but geriatric is typically what's applied to people in like nursing homes, right? right? Uh, when you have a geriatric bed or a geriatric wheelchair, it's like, oh, that's a wheelchair for people yeah. who basically are, are over the hill, largely. Yeah. Um, not to be too insensitive, but that's kind of what it's talking about. Uh, past the typical age of, mm-hmm. of these kinds of things. And yeah, that's a real biological clock. I was shocked when I heard that. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, and so that is something that is on the mind of women. Uh, around age 30 because yeah. again in general women excel more at longer term thinking uh, and so this is they are looking at their life by age 30 going all right if i want to have children how am i going to do this um and that statistic of uh one in four 25 percent of age women age 32 to 38 weren't married when they had their first babies there in 2022 that is a six-fold increase from 1996 when the share of unmarried women in that group was just 4%. Um, so then, do the math. If that is a six-fold increase uh, in that 25-year period or so, expect to see a lot more of that. And again, knowing what that leads to, you're going to see more struggles less emotional stability out of children, uh, less excelling in any of the ways that you typically define excelling, uh, less employment, less stability. Um, and, and that's very bad for not just boys, it's bad for society as a whole, because if you're talking about 
how young men are not excelling, give them worse conditions to grow up in and watch them not excel more. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just a matter of, uh, you know, we've been talking heavily about the long-term outcomes and the negative outcomes that, that we are seeing and are going to continue to see. Um, but, but we do need to shift gears and say, okay, what do we need to change now? Yep. We can't just wait until then and say, hey, you know how you've been trained up a specific way and with a specific mindset about all these things? Well, stop it and do something different. Uh, no, what we need to do is go back to kind of where these things are beginning, where the root is taking hold, and change it there to where we are. We will begin producing. I don't like the word using produ- producing, but uh, we will begin to see an increase in men who are achievers, who are uh, prone to academic success, and, and ultimately are prone to life success. Uh, men who want to be men is what we're talking about here, yeah. right? And, and who, who are able and know how to be men. Because getting back down to really where the article is at, we've talked a lot about the, the end outcomes. And I do think a lot of it has to do with it's, it lays at the fault or the, the fault lays at the feet of men um, who are begun on, on a path as boys uh, in many cases, not towards manhood, but towards something else. Not a very good manhood anyway. Um, but he, he comes down now to, down, excuse me, he comes now uh, back down to the point and he says basically that let's get down to it at the school level. What are the things that are happening? And he, he says, he talks about his book. He's written a book called Boys Adrift. And it's a book that I really want to read, and, and maybe we can talk about uh, doing a book review on sometime. But um, he says, uh, what's driving the rise in numbers of unmotivated boys and underachieving young men? And what can we do about it? In my book, Boys Adrift, as he says, identify multiple factors that have combined to disengage boys and young men from hard work and ap- academic achievement. The bad news is that the fa- these factors are pervasive. The good news is that, is that parents who understand these challenges can arm their sons with tools they need in order to fulfill their, their potential. And so he, this is where he gets in the article to begin to say, how can we begin to undo this? How can we counteract these issues? How can we help our, our boys specifically achieve in school? Yep. Um, that's where he sort of focuses. I think it's more than that. I think focusing on school and what's happening in school is a piece of the puzzle. Um, I do think, and this is what I thought as I read the article, it does seem to be this kind of like, we can fix all the problems or a lot of the problems from a a level of, you know, like the school level or whatever. I would probably say a lot of these problems are going to be more effectively handled from the family, family level. I don't think he would disagree with that assessment that I'm making there, but he is specifically looking at schools, um, and he talks about the differences in our culture and just yeah. our culture's construction of masculinity. Uh, he talks about how um, a generation ago, Sam Cooke had the number one hit song uh, where he says, I don't know how to be an A student, but I'm trying to be because maybe by being an A student, I can win your love for me. Uh, this kind of like uh, love song, this idea that if I can just you know succeed uh, in, in school or whatever, then you being the the female, assume uh, we assume, uh, I can win you over, right? With my success, with with being a good student, things like that. Uh, he talks about the Beach Boys. They sang that song, "Be True to Your School," uh, which I kind of forgot all about. But uh, I don't think I've ever heard it. Uh, yeah, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. Be true to your school. Oh, okay. I'm not gonna sing it. Did you get that? Yeah. I've never heard it, but really, I mean, I yeah. Hmm. Have you ever heard of the Beach Boys? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> uh, but um, 
Yeah, but he talks then about the the kind of things that we see today. Yeah, um, he's right about this. He's uh, right about this. Yeah, he says today we have Lil Nas X boasting in his Grammy Award winning hit song "Can't Nobody Tell Me Nothing." You can't tell me nothing. Uh, right, and he says uh, you you cannot imagine. Uh, contemporary male singer celebrities such as Bruno Mars or Drake singing about trying to earn better grades in school or about being true to their school. No. And it's true that uh, the, the rebelliousness has sort of reached an end point that it's, it's literally um, people trying to come up with stuff that is more rebellious. To, to the extent that, for instance, uh, Eminem has an, a, an alter ego. I mean, Slim Shady, who he raps as most of the time, is a literal alter ego, and he will explain... Look, this is not just what I think. It's just a persona to say, I'm I'm saying the most outlandish, off the wall stuff because it's what you all seem to want to hear. That is what what we have landed on in terms of pop culture, and that's bankrupt. When these are celebrities, when these are the celebrities, um, this is toxic to life. But what we do is we put it uh, out as uh, what you could call good, bad music, uh, music that sounds good but is destructive to your soul. And it will be one thing if there was was this uh, group of sort of bad boys and then there was a group of positive role models. Uh, but there really aren't uh, as far as there aren't that many uh, male role models that are lifted up that will um, keep think of it like this Um, if you're rich and you have children with four different women you can handle that financially if you're poor and you do that you can't Uh, and and there's there's some simple facts like this Uh, if you're a Hollywood celebrity doing some of these things it doesn't bother you that much. You mm-hmm. can manage it. You can actually hire people to help you manage it. Uh, it does not work the same uh, for the poor. And so well, the first thing he says in terms of solutions is that parents have to find positive male role models for their sons. Mm-hmm. Boys need people to look up to. Yep. Uh, yep. And, he, and he goes to the, the common mm-hmm. places that you would go for this, a teacher, yep. a coach, a pastor, a family, friend. Um, then what does he say? I think this is one of the saddest lines in the. In if the you're lucky, the boy's father can also be a role model. Oh, says. yeah. Oh, that's. I think that's the most sad line that he has to say. That if you're lucky, the boy's father can be the role model. That makes me so sad because, like, you know, and, and we're both fathers, and and I don't know. Maybe as a father, that's part of why it makes me so sad. But when I think back to my father and like who was my my role model when I was young, who did I think of when I thought? You know, who do I want to emulate and things like that? Like, man, I so often thought of my dad. When people would ask me when I was young, and of course my dad loved this, so he would tell people, hey, hey, tell them, tell them, you know, this. When people would ask me, like, who my favorite baseball player was, as a little kid, knowing nothing about, like, I knew who the Cardinals were or whatever, but I didn't know any of the professional baseball players or whatever. But I knew that my dad uh, played baseball in in grade school and high school, whatever. And I would always say my dad, he's my yeah, favorite yeah. baseball player and he loved it. You yeah. know, he was a girl. but, uh, but I did like, I mean, I thought my dad could, uh, you know, I thought he hung the moon when yeah, I was yeah. young and all these kinds of things. But, um, the fact that it has to be the case now, if you're lucky that a boy's father can, can be a role model. I don't know that, that speaks to where we've come now that yeah. it's like, Hey, you got to find a role model, like a coach, a pastor, family, friend, whatever. Um, because the assumption is 
it's probably not going to be the boy's father. Right. And that's a really sad place to be where that has become the assumption. And it brings me back to my point that like, you know, despite all these things and all the issues with the schools and things like that, the number one problem here is actually uh, a lack of, of fathers in the homes and a lack of fathers who are in the homes living up to their responsibilities. Like yeah. that is a part of this too. But, yeah. And um, I, and it, unless they get too dim uh, as far as the outlook, I, I do want to say you can find a church where this happens. Um, thankfully, I can say, in addition, you know, uh, I think this would be hard in some ways to write uh, about this issue and then put it out in a book form from a standpoint of, hey, find some good men. Because he, he says, looks, boys need stories of good men, uh, men who embody the values we want our sons to learn. And he talks about, um, in his book, he recognizes Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, uh, German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Civil War abolitionist hero Joshua Chamberlain. Um, that is that is fine, but and, boys and need, and I think they need that, but yeah. boys need people they can talk to as well and yeah. people they can listen to and be around and see how they behave. Um, and, and for instance, here at the church, there, praise God, there are some young men who have already poured in to my boys that I know my boys look up to. That is valuable in ways that I cannot describe because what you are, what you're doing as a young person is you're trying to figure out, I'm not exactly my parents, but I'm not exactly not my parents, Mm -hmm. but who am I then? Mm -hmm. And the more people you can have that care about you and pour into you, especially as a young man, the easier and gentler is the transition from being a child where nothing is expected of you mm-hmm. to a productive member of society. And so in some ways, this becomes a story of how we have lost a third place in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, when we have asked so much of schools, which is in a lot of ways what we have asked, we have asked schools to not just do the educational piece, but to do a lot of the stepping in and raising. Uh, that's just too much to mm-hmm. ask of them. And when you have lost yep. the third places like a church, and, and as as we, I mean, I, I imagine sometimes, you know, thankfully I'm in a multi-generational church and, you know, there are people in uh, First Southern who fought in World War II. And, and I think about what they have seen. And look, that society is this strange thing. Is I'm not saying everything was better, but we should be aware that the decline of so many institutions has meant loss, mm-hmm. has meant real loss for relationships. And that in part, what we are seeing here is especially hard on boys. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think you're exactly right. And, and I mean, we, we could stay on this rant for a good while, but uh, one of the things I think this is, uh, we're seeing a, a sort of resurgence, not really resurgence, but I'll just say it this way. Jordan Peterson, I think... Yeah. In, in the work that he's been doing over the past several years, uh, the kind of kind of emphasis he gives in his his work in psychology, and um, I, I would say even in like to a degree motivational speaking, but rooted in psycholo- psychology and things like that. The reason he has had so much success, and specifically success with young men, mm-hmm. is because he has he's identifying this problem. He's identifying the problem of masculinity being something that has been 
lost, at least any good perspective on masculinity, something that needs to be regained yeah. uh, and something that he's speaking into saying, hey, no, be men and, mm-hmm. and, and, and be masculine. And um, even to, to a degree, Seek like... Seek the truth. Tell the truth. <laughs> yes. Things like that. Be honest. Like you, you, you read some of the things he writes and, you know, I, I love Jordan Peterson for a lot of what he has to say on these kinds of issues. Um, I wish Jordan Peterson uh, was a Christian. Um, but I love a lot of his insights. They're really helpful. They're really good. Um, they're insights that frankly, the church should be pressing into more than than we are probably. Right. And anyone who doesn't like Jordan Peterson, please use whatever resources and platform you have to go to young people and to say, I believe in you. You have gifts and abilities. If there's any way I can help you, I'll do it. Yeah. That is that is how he has gained a following. Exactly. Whatever exactly. you want to say about the last sure. few years, that that is, uh, young people are starving yeah. for that, and they look around at busy people, and they perceive that they don't have time for them, and then they go, "Well, I guess I'm on my own. I have yep. to figure this out yep. for myself." Yep. And, and when and when a book by like Jordan Peterson comes out says, Hey, here's some simple rules for how to live life. It's not just for men, right. uh, but it's good for men, but it's good for women. So here's how to live. Here's just some simple ways yep. that frankly, people aren't telling you, um, that are ways to, to live yeah. life. Um, yeah. Uh, and things I think, that I think would be shocking to some people, you know, like clean your room. And if you haven't cleaned your room, don't try to give advice to other people about how to live their life. Yeah. And there is something in a, a young male mind that will go, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, there was a part of me that wanted to give advice, but I think if I cannot do some basic things, I got some other work I need to do first. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that is very good. Yep. Yeah. And he talks about some of these, and I've thought about this a lot. He talks about different qualities that boys have just naturally. Yeah. Uh, where he says, uh, let's see here. He says American schools with few exceptions. This is a pretty bold statement have become unfriendly to boys. Boys doing things that boys have always done, such as pointing fingers at each other, saying, bang, bang, you're dead, or doodling a sketch of a, shor- of a sword, now often get in trouble at school. He says, but reprimanding an elementary school boy for chewing his pastry into the shape of a gun, which, by the way, uh, I have a, a son that's four years old. Um, everything is a gun to that little boy, <laughs> it seems like. You know, he's just like, that's not even shaped like a gun, but he's pointing it going, pew, pew. You know, yeah. shooting different things, whatever. But um, he says, uh, he says, reprimanding an elementary boy for chewing his pastry into the shape of a gun does not change that boy into a flower child who wants to talk about his feelings. Um, more often than not, he kind of makes the point that it, it's just going to lead him to find uh, inappropriate outlets for those same kinds of things, like he says, Grand Theft Auto, where you're rewarded for killing and violence and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it leads to an interesting question that needs to be answered, though, is I am of the camp. I mean, I grew up playing, um, I hate to say it, but I grew up playing Cowboys and Indians, uh, Cops and Robbers, all these different games. Uh, we'd play war where we would shoot guns at each other uh, and then uh, get mad when we were sure that we hit the other person with this pretend bullet, and they said, no, it went right past me. You just missed me a little bit. Uh, I can remember the arguments we used to have. <laughs> no, I totally shot you. But... um yeah, these kinds of things that I did growing up and, and thankfully had parents who, to a, to a large degree, allowed that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I see my son doing those same kinds of things. And I think, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. In fact, in a lot of ways, I encourage it. You know, he points his finger at me. And we go, pew, pew, pew. And I'll go, oh, got me, you know, and these kinds of things. Um, 
But the question that needs to be answered is how do we redirect, how do we take these kinds of qualities uh, and these kinds of, I would even say aggression, <laughs> because little boys have a certain amount of aggression yes. in them, uh, energy and, and yes. aggression. That, uh, for, for no reason the other day, my son headbutted me right in the gut. I mean, we're standing there <laughs> yep, yep. in my, my mom's kitchen, and he just goes, wham, just out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, what was that? Why? Yep. <laughs> boys have an aggression, and an aggression that I think needs to be worked with and needs to be molded, but not one that needs to be removed and rooted right. out, which oftentimes is what schools and, and society wants to do. They think this aggression needs to be removed. And we say, no, it doesn't need to be removed. It needs to be given proper outlets and channeled properly and given a context in which it can be used rightly, I think. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this is all under the heading. He says that <coughs> schools bear some of the blame for the disengagement of boys from education. And... Look, the, a part of what's going to happen as time goes on, there will be a tendency to go, well, let's program around the problems that we're having. But I have lived long enough to see you can't program around everything. You will end up trying to cram this square peg mm -hmm. of a boy into a round hole that he doesn't fit into. Yeah, around androgynous hole. Yeah. And, and that's just a simple fact. And so one of the uh, proposals uh, that Leonard Sachs has is that he says, a boy-friendly elementary school offers at least three recesses per day, and kids are allowed to play tag during recess. I'm not quite sure what the issue with tag, like just something that... Um, do do but some schools not allow tag? I, I don't know. I don't know. This would have to... We'd have to go to somebody else other than us, I guess, to answer yeah. that question. Um, I, I, I might have told this on here before, but I'll repeat it forever because um, I remember I had a youth minister, and uh, he actually homeschooled uh, the two boys uh, that they had. And, and when the boys were especially rowdy, he would take them at 7 in the morning, and he would take them down the track in my hometown and run them, yeah. and just run the energy off, which is good because I know what it is to have very high-energy little boys. And uh, that aggression that is into them, I remember I— I wondered when we had Cooper, our, our, uh, our first boy, I was like, how long before that aggression shows up? Oh, man, it just... Uh, <laughs> it doesn't take long. Toddler. He's a toddler. And all of a sudden, uh, it, it, it just comes pretty quick. And I don't well, know. It comes well before impulse control. <laughs> <I'll say> that. <laughs> That's one good way to measure it. Yes, absolutely right. And so there's a number that Leonard Sachs gives right there. A boy-friendly elementary school offers at least three recesses per day, and the kids are allowed to play tag during recess is one of the things that he says. And so for anyone who uh, is homeschooling your kids, uh, has, has input over how the schooling of your child happens, that's just a benchmark that is worth considering. Mm -hmm. uh, given that look, the average school day is pretty long, and so a recess, you know, might last 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be an hour-long process. And right. so this is what he recommends. Um, yeah. More move-in time. Yeah. How many recesses did you have in school when you were young? One, I believe. Yeah. You know, Same. We had some time, I remember, um, maybe after lunch, we would be able to go outside for like the last 15 minutes or something. So maybe yeah. two if you stretch it that way. But that's, one, that's one what I remember. Yeah. yeah I, obviously, you know, I was only in school, school, uh, and, and it was a Christian school, uh, whenever I was young for the first couple, couple grades or whatever. But, um, I only remember ever getting one recess and here's another thing that would happen. And this would be an interesting point of 
discussion as a, a boy who was very high energy um, and lacked a lot of impulse control. Oftentimes, one of the ways I'd be punished is like during recess, I'd have to stand on the fence. Um, and, you know, I hated it for sure. It did work as a, as a sort of punishment. But, you know, I think to that and I think, is that the best way to punish a kid who has acted out due to high energy mm-hmm. uh, to take away any outlet for that energy to be to be kind of worn down, run off? I would probably on the side of no. You know, I feel for teachers with the lack of ability to punish in various ways, but uh, man, I hate the idea of hey, this kid has too much energy and has acted out, so I'm going to punish him by taking away his recess. Yeah, that doesn't seem to make sense, but yeah, yeah, that is tough. Yeah. Um, another thing that he advises, uh, he says at high school, look at the list of students earning academic honors. Look for a roughly fifty-fifty girl-boy split. If eighty percent of the students on the honor roll are girls year after year, then it's likely that most boys at that school regard academic achievement as unmasculine. Mm-hmm. And it certainly, unfortunately, can happen that way. Yeah. That that boys can come to the conclusion that uh, girls study, yeah, boys play, Don't. yeah, <laughs> right, or do other things. Yeah, I mean right. that's the, that's the unfortunate thing. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, he's really saying like, he's not in that, in that point there saying, here are the things that that school should be doing differently. He's just saying, these are just markers of a school that's not doing it right. So Mm -hmm. avoid that school. Mm -hmm. Um, similarly, he says at successful high schools, uh, the boy who is the captain of the football team is often a top scholar as well. That's no longer common in the United States, but it still happens. I have seen it. He says, when it happens, it's no accident. The school leaders have mindfully created a school culture where it's cool for a boy to be a gentleman and a scholar, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a is an interesting point. And it gives an insight into, okay, what can we be doing as a society, but even to a degree as um, maybe for us like church leaders or if you're a teacher, school, um, if you're even for parents, like make sure and prioritize it in this way. Um, one of the things I wonder I mean, my wife is a teacher. I know other teachers. I think it is the case that there is there is a lack of maybe male teachers mm-hmm. that could also contribute to this. Um, when when guys in school are only ever seeing um, feminine role models and and sort of that laid out, they might conclude that things like academics are for for women, not for men. Mm-hmm. Um, that's speculation. I don't know that that's the case, but. I do think that it's kind of a sad thing that we don't see more male teachers. I know some good ones. Yeah. Uh, you and I have some mutual friends and, and even um, good friends who are teachers, but, uh, and they're good. They're good teachers. Right. But it shines a, a light on the fact that if, if as most of us know, I mean, the, the number of men who go into teaching, especially at the elementary school level, is very low. Minimal. Um, but that in the past, at least some of that was made up by that there were a lot more male coaches and sort of in these other roles, right. but that most people have heard that in the past, say, 20 to 30 years, uh, a lot of physical education uh, requirements. Uh, yeah. Schools don't require PE yeah. um, or athletics or, or these sorts of things, which as a result, fewer teams, um, less exposure yeah. to... Two, what had been in the past, I know I know friends of mine who from high school days who connected with a, a track coach, say, or a football coach, and that uh, that you could think of male role models very much like what you want to see is a, 
a bunch of stars in the mm-hmm. sky. And, and for some, this is sort of the North Star. Some I have friends who th- this coach was the number one role model for yeah. them. Um, and I have friends that this coach was in the more the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's wonderful to have a bunch of these. And the fewer options you have, the worse it is. Yeah. And that's what we've been moving towards is, right. is fewer options. And what we, we need to shift that towards more options. And, and uh, Leonard Sachs' advice, he says, look, if you start looking for these, you might not find this in your city, county, or even state. And he says, what my wife and I did is we moved to a different state then. Yeah. That, that frankly, I, I was... That kind of blew me away. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. that's yeah. Yeah. that's a huge thing to, to ask or to propose that you should uproot and move even across state lines in order to get your kids in a school that is going to be to best suit them. Um, I don't know that I would so quickly jump to that conclusion. Um, I don't know what their story is. Obviously, he just sort of, sort of throws it out there. He says, finding a school that's better fit for your child may require moving to another state, as me and my wife did. It's kind of like, wow, you know, what did you do before you moved in? Um, did were there none, no Christian schools in your area that you could go to that were acceptable? Had you considered homeschooling and it just wasn't a viable option? You know, who, who knows what? Um, but like, there's a lot of things. I don't know. That's such a huge step. I'm just a little shocked by that. Yeah. And I don't know that I would very quickly counsel someone in that way as he is doing. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to know where he lived then and where he moved to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're blessed. We live in a place where there, we have access to, even if you're not looking or feel capable of homeschooling, we have access to good Christian education here in this area. A variety of yeah possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Not even just one. We have, we have a few. Um, so, you know, I am speaking from a sort of, position of, of having the ability to have that right here so but i don't know what would you would you counsel someone pretty quickly to move states in order to find good education i think so because we're living in a time when people are doing this for all kinds of reasons yeah. it is there is a resorting that is happening right now and anybody um who has looked at sort of uh, political maps a lot of people are moving for that reason and all this stuff is tied to worldview it's mm-hmm. tied to how you see the world and what children need and one of the things that's happened, I mean, I'm convinced that um, one of the reasons why you and I know plenty of people who are not quite sure about having kids is because of some bad ideas that are living in people's minds like, gosh, I don't know if I want to have kids. I might mess them up. And it's like, yeah, I'm concerned that if you've convinced yourself that the reason you have problems is because of your parents, like if it's their fault, boy, that'll have a real uh, yeah. detriment on <laughs> you wanting right. to have uh, kids. You won't want to do it. Uh, but here's the thing, uh, our faults are not our parents' faults. Uh, our faults are our own. And, uh, Jesus thankfully, uh, pays for those sins. But if you're just looking for a scapegoat, I guess the most convenient thing you can do is just find somebody to blame in order. Because one of the scary things that if you read about sort of what you could call moral history Every generation of people will find some way to believe they're good people. Mm-hmm. You, it doesn't matter how realistic your view of it is. You will find this goes from people who ran concentration camps came up with ways to rationalize and tell themselves, I, this is okay, what I'm doing, <laughs> yeah. because they're, they're not worthy of life. So that's right. why I'm, I'm helping. Uh, right. 
all people will do this. And that is something about human nature that we all need to know. Uh, we will come up with reasons and ways to get to doing what we feel like doing and still convince ourselves that we're good people. Uh, doesn't mean that there's any truth in it whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we're very blessed. And I'll say that as, as we've already alluded to, we have options here in our area. Um, and for, for our listeners here in this area, um, I would consider these things and I would, uh, here's a part of it. I don't think many people even put this amount of this amount of research into these yes. things. Have you ever looked into the schools that you're thinking about sending your children to and considered, uh, you know, whether or not the, uh, the students who get academic honors, if it's a 50, 50 split roughly year right. after year, uh, probably not. A lot of people haven't. Do you know how many recesses your kids right. are getting at school? You know, probably not. Um, and he's saying, hey, put in a little bit of effort to find these things out. Right. Uh, and, and here, I think we're very blessed to have schools like Evansville Christian School, which I'm, I'm happy to, to support and, and kind of put a prop in or a plug in for um, that, uh, that I can send my child to. And I know uh, what he's being taught. I know um, the amount of, uh, of care that he's being given. I even know the amount of, or the kind of spiritual uh, teaching that he's getting from this school and, and very thankful for that. And so uh, you and I have a, have a mutual friend who is over all of kind of the spiritual care, that being uh, uh, Mr. Wick. Um, he's over all the spiritual care of the ECS campuses and love him yeah. a, a lot and trust him so much and so thankful for him. So uh, we're very blessed. And so for, for any who are maybe new parents or, or parents who are in the midst of all this right now or considering being a parent, uh, consider these things and, and look into it as you're... Uh, thinking about the, what's best for your children. Right. Yeah, we're in a new reality right now. Ever since yeah. the pandemic, um, this experiment that has been public education is in a new phase because a lot mm -hmm. of what people learned uh, when school went online during uh, COVID shutdowns, they learned what it was like uh, and what kind of things were said and what the atmosphere was like for uh, a lot of their kids. And and uh, as a kid who I, I grew up in public school, I, I still have high hopes for the public schools uh, lately, they've been struggling, and I, and I hope that there's a turnaround, um, but we will see what happens in the future with that. Yep, definitely. All right, I don't have anything else about this article, do you? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I don't know. I, as a father of, of boys, mm -hmm. uh, both of us, I hear this article resonates with me, yes. and it does make me think, man, I want to raise my boys well. I want them to succeed. It, it could, I think, potentially cause people like us who have boys to be like, Oh shoot, man, we're up against it. And to a degree we are, but I also think, uh, I'm very thankful that my boys have a father. I want to be the best father I can to them. I want to teach them these things. I don't want to rely on the schools, the culture to implement these things. I don't even want to reply, uh, rely completely on other sources such as pastors, coaches, things like that. Yep. Um, I guess according to this article, we are lucky in that my boys have a father who can serve as a role model for them, and I want to be that. And my prayer is that uh, that I will be, uh, that the Lord would use me to raise them up um, to where they're not only going to have this is my prayer, too. I don't want my boys to just be successful in society. I don't want them to just have good jobs, make money, um, even have families. All that's good, uh, but I want them to know the Lord, mm -hmm. and I can't rely on any public school or any uh, Christian school, for that matter, or any other thing. Uh, to do that, um, I want to be doing everything I can to to be giving them the gospel, telling them the the truth of, of the scriptures, um, helping them to see that they're sinful and that they need a savior, um, pointing them to Christ, and then beyond that, trust the work of the Lord to to do what He does. Yep, so. I agree. 
Well, this has been Empires of the Future. And we will see you in the future.